Welcome to the Grow Tribe. Hi, I'm Melissa McGowan, and I love that you're choosing growth. In this podcast, we shine a light on the diverse, messy, and real ways that you grow in leadership and life. We reflect, connect, and share what growth means to us. After two decades supporting growth in business, and of course my own, I firmly believe that where you go with your energy, time, focus, money, and precious resources, you actually grow. We're better together, so stay curious, stay awesome, join our tribe, and feel alive. Thanks so much for being here and being part of the Grow Tribe. It would be amazing if you shared this podcast with others at home, at work, gave it a rate and review in Apple Podcasts, and shared any ideas about what you want to hear more about or who you want to hear from. I love to hear your updates. If you're interested in learning about how to become a Chief Energy Officer, you're looking to fuel your impact in, and your performance, could be you, could be your team, have a look at the link in the show notes about where to start. And as always, drop me an email if you're looking for any support or you've got any insights that you want to share on growth. It's melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at go to grow.com.au. Thanks, everyone. Hello, and welcome to today's episode, Being and Leading Change to Grow. If you're listening and not dealing with change right now, we want to know about it and why that is. As parents, employees, business owners, leaders, teams, and organizations everywhere are experiencing and to various degrees leading, not necessarily managing, but leading change. Think about the last workplace change you were on the receiving end of. What was that change? What was the impact on you? Who was there by your side and what support did you receive? What one thing would you do differently to support yourself? What would you tell them to do differently? Now let's put the shoe on the other foot. When have you been responsible for change? Big or small? One off or ongoing? How did you measure success? What was your biggest learning? Who was there by your side? What support did you have? And really importantly, as a leader of change, how did you prioritise yourself and look after yourself through that time? So I'm hearing from so many people lately who are experiencing change and it really led me to reflect on how we might consider leading change for ourselves and others and what is so important right now. It would be very easy for us to focus on, you know, the tools, the process, the planning, I guess the more science side of change. But today, you know, we're also going to acknowledge the art side, the human side, the inspirational side, the emotional side, the part that's less tangible, less controllable, and is much more likely to be connected to the reflection that you just had right now. Really our lived experience is what helps us recognize that we can't manage and control all the aspects of the change, but we can think about how we support ourselves. So as you go back to your own experience, you might agree with me that leadership, connection and strong support are some of those big differentiators, specifically around leadership impact. So when I say that, I really mean it's the way leaders motivate, clarify and encourage employees to fulfill the change that they desire, to help us move forward, to help us see the positive, even when that is not immediately clear, right? Leadership impacts more than anything. It's so huge. 
change, as we know, can't just be an intellectual exercise. It's really about being that change that you want to see. Just like what we're doing here is being that growth that we want to see in our homes and in our workplaces. So guess what? You know, we're all leading from where we stand right now and that has nothing to do with our formal job titles. Talking about change, you know, makes me think about that famous, um, you know, Mike Tyson quote, actually, the gym that I love going to that I haven't been to now for some time has this one up on the wall. You know, everyone has a great plan until they get punched in the face. And, you know, I know there are many leaders out there right now who are being, you know, punched in the face. And I hope you are seeking and getting that strong support and guidance as you're leading through the change. And in large organisations, uh, well, medium-sized organisations as well, there's absolutely no doubt that human resources professionals and leaders are, you know, key players on the field right now. That is 100% for sure. I um, also recalled in, in putting this episode together you know, why I have always encouraged talent and individuals to really embrace the learning and the development opportunity to move into a role where you get the opportunity and the experience of leading change. It is very challenging, but it's also a huge accelerator and an experience builder. And, you know, as a previous HR leader, um, I know that, you know, the companies that I've worked for and many others are looking for what we call agile employees. You know the ones you're looking around now? They're the people working with you or on your team who are figuring out how to adjust. They're re-establishing what they're focusing on. They're connecting. Importantly, they're looking after themselves. They've got awareness about the impacts for them right now and how to support themselves and ask for support and receive it. And... You know, they are also the ones who um, are doing this in a situation that we've never navigated before. So leaders who have the experience of shaping and leading change are more sought after because it's not just something they're able to talk to academically. They can actually show examples of where they've been able to, you know, come over the bumps and lead um, not just a process, but actually deliver the outcomes as well. So for those um, who are looking for a hands-on experience to develop greater agility in this area of leading change, um, there's a couple of open roles in my house at the moment for anyone who is willing to come and catalyze learning for our four kids who are being home educated right now. So a warm welcome to all of our evolving and changing growers out there today, many of whom are experiencing and or leading change right now. Some of the wins that I'm hearing about in the community. Numerous people have um, actually told me about the very challenging leadership work, decisions and actions they've been taking, which has been around letting people go in their teams and making roles redundant in their businesses right now and just how challenging that is for them as leaders and even though the logical you know brain says yes that's what we need to do you know in terms of being able to um, you know connect the impact of that to the people that you may have had on your teams for a long time it's very challenging and again even more critical how we're supporting ourselves as leaders right now. Someone else um, has already experienced a lot of organizational change over the years 
and, you know, pre-COVID and then just found out that there's another big wave coming. And, you know, that triggers understandable concerns around security, which then, you know, trigger into kind of hyperactivity and increased sort of work hours and, and essentially, you know, more stress. So having awareness about that is key. Other examples of business owners, I'm sorry, continuing to kind of change their models and really meaningfully go online and get very creative. Um, it would be remiss of me not to mention all the parents out there who are facing into and dealing with um, this lockdown 2.0 in Victoria in Australia um, and, well, most parts of Victoria anyway. And, you know, they're debriefing as a family, as a team in their houses each week. What are we, you know, what are we going to keep? What are we letting go of? How are we going to look after ourselves as a unit as we work through this? And again, asking for, seeking, providing support. Another parent uh, who I spoke to recently in the community just shared some really great personal learnings she had, which came from a personal situation with her child a few years ago who was quite unwell and missed a lot of school. And she reassured other parents around, you know... Yeah, kids learn a lot at school, but actually, you know, they can also catch things up. And just another message that she had around taking the pressure off right now. It was really um, appreciated by others and her being quite open. So here at go to grow we really prefer to explore topics through that lens of sharing real experience and real learning, the good and the messy. So today I am thrilled to be joined by Melva Holt. Now, Melva and I uh, reconnected recently after many years um, of not having chatted. We worked together quite a few years ago, and recently we realised that we had both moved from the CPG sort of consumer products sector into the industrial sector and experienced in doing that significant change ourselves in terms of culture, business models, leadership, but also the change we were involved in leading in those organisations. Melva lives in Atlanta, I live in Australia. We have actually much in common and we have a lot that we are different and unique. And I reflected that had I kind of lifted my head up a little bit earlier over the years and reconnected with her specifically, we could have shared amazing parts of our journey and learning together. So it was just a reminder to me um, and, you know, continues to be reinforced when I talk to others that leading change can be a lonely place and we're so immersed in the work that we're doing there, um, you know, with the best of intention. But let's not forget to lift our head up and think about who we can connect with, who may be, um, you know, a, a great person, a sounding board, a safe person, you know, just someone to even have a laugh with. So, Melva, when we worked together in the US, um, interestingly, we were actually leading through a pretty significant um, and large reorg at that time. We were immersed in change. Nothing, though, compared to the change kind of I experienced just after that, which was finding out that Stuart and I were having twins. Um, we then were packing up and leaving the US with two kids with us, and I think I was about 26 weeks pregnant with the twins. We were going back home to, you know, no house, no car, no schools and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, like all um, sort of somewhat shocking changes, it opened doors. And two key changes that occurred for me once we'd sort of adjusted from the shock of all of that 
was and and the fog cleared after the first sort of year or two of um, having the twins is that I shifted to a new and challenging assignment in my career and then we made a lifestyle change to move out of the city and they both turned out to be great things for us. So Melva, you know, you and I, we're still navigating change. I know that. Um, like me, recently you've set up your own business. You also have twins. So I think we can safely say that we are twinning. Melva, welcome to the Grow Tribe. Thank you, Melissa. Glad to be here today. Awesome. Melva, I um, gave you one question in advance, as I sometimes do, and I just wanted to start there if I could before we kind of dive in. I wanted to ask you where you go to grow. What has been um, a meaningful growth experience for you that has come from a intentional investment in you know, time, money, energy, or focus that's been growthful for you in your life? You know, it's a great question, Melissa, and I spent a lot of time thinking about where do I go to grow or where have I gone to grow? I've experienced quite a bit of change over the course of 2020, as you alluded to, and leaving my corporate job and setting out to start my own business. And what I've learned is what I thought would be, I'd have a whole new set of practices to go to grow. But as I reflected back, I realized that I'm still using the same levers that I've used for the last few years. And I will say where I tend to go to grow, couple of places. One, just having this external scan on what's happening in the world and reading articles. So that may be HBR, um, Harvard Business Review, that could be um, looking at, you know, McKinsey reports and insights that come out or you know, Josh Burson or the talent strategy group, um, because my career has been in HR, so kind of scanning through those things that are happening within the industry. But I would say that's always coupled by a healthy dose of personal coaching for myself. So while I too coach other people, I've just found that I am feeling the best and I'm most successful when I am being coached by um, another coach who allows me to, you know, reap those same benefits that I look for, you know, when I'm working with other people, holding that mirror up, giving me a great sounding board, asking me challenging questions to keep my mind moving and, you know, my wheels turning. And so while I'm doing this external scan all the time, that value of a coaching relationship has been very powerful for me. Um, over the last, you know, five years, I've taken that very seriously. And at the times that I have not had a coach, which have been small periods of time in between, I've certainly felt the difference in my own personal development and personal growth during that time. And it's like, you know, the, the, the nitro is turned on when I have a coach and I'm able to just exponentially move forward in my own personal development journey when I have that coach. It's really interesting because I've asked that question to a few people recently and I'm really genuinely I'm kind of surprised that theme has come up so quickly and so consistently. And I think what I love there is external orientation, as we know, is, is a, a differentiator for employees and leaders, um, but then putting it into action and, and having that 
as you say, the guidance, but also kind of the accountability to take the action, that, which is what comes with a coach and that faster implementation is um, a real game changer. And I think people are probably surprised when they hear that coaches have coaches as well. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I, I absolutely believe in coaches having coaches. And if I got my way in the world, I think everyone should have a coach of some sort. Yeah, I agree. Um, I've had a coach as well. So Melva, if you don't mind, I'd love to just start, we, you know, we like to be kind of personal and practical here. Um, can you just maybe start describing the change you went through personally as you moved to a very different business and then leading into, I guess, what were some of the changes that you helped lead? Uh, sure. So I, I want to start with you. You did an excellent overview of kind of how our paths crossed early on in a large CPG company that I would describe as, you know, very progressive, uh, leading an HR front as far as the HR model that we used within the company, you know, all the resources and learning and development, HRAS. So we had a lot of tools and resources at our fingertips. It's funny how, you know, situations change and your perspective shifts. I know there were times where it was like, gosh, I wish we had more, you know, you name it. However, looking back and especially after I moved into the new opportunity, I realized how fortunate we were. And, and frankly, that environment really helped train me up and be ready for what I entered once I left that environment. So I left that Fortune, you know, 500 company, eager to go out and set out and, you know, forge a path of my own. And so moving into the industrial sector, I went to a company that was well known within that sector. I was not familiar with the company prior to, you know, the recruiter reaching out and us starting to have conversations. But what I quickly realized was that this industry and the company really were almost exact opposite of what I was coming from. And I thought that was exciting. I took that as a challenge and I, I was very excited about what that could mean and what that could look like for the next steps in my career. However, you know, when you process these things from a rational perspective and then you step into it, it can feel a lot different than what you thought it was going to um, when you were thinking about how exciting that change could be. So stepping into a very male dominated, um, you know, in the United States, a very white male dominated industry um, and company and me being a black woman in America, this was um, definitely something that was different coming from that progressive, very diverse uh, environment uh, of the previous company. Um, that did not scare me at all. I have been through, you know, environments in my past. The college I went to um, had previously been all male. Um, so they were newly co-ed when I arrived for my freshman year of university. And so I, I was somewhat used to that environment. However, I had not experienced that in my, I would say, adult life and career in a really long time when I stepped into that environment. And so that was an immediate change, just understanding um, the hierarchical background that the company had. Um, they were heavy um, government, heavy 
Um, they had an aerospace background, so heavy, um, just military as well, which was very different for me. And so walking in and being introduced, everyone was friendly. Everyone was very cordial. You know, I think they were genuinely happy to see me show up and come in and contribute to the company. But it was a little bit of whiplash when you look around the room and you see, you know, let's say there's 10 people and you see um, one woman and one person of color and I'm the only person that's fitting both of those bills. I was gonna say, were you both of those people? <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, figuring out, okay, so how ready for change are they? Because yeah. by nature, you know, there's some things that I'm going to shake up just because I have a, a, I'm a different person, right? I don't, I don't look like you. I haven't had the same upbringing. I'm new to this industry. There's just some things that are going to be different for me because I arrived, right? So <laughs> I would say really having to step in and build relationships and assess where were people with their kind of mindset towards change? And did they want me to come in and do something? Or did they want me to come in and leave things alone and, you know, let them be? And the attention to change is there, but, you know, there's a difference between, okay, now we're really gonna do it. Like we're really gonna, you know, set some plans now and make it happen. And that, that tends to bring up, ooh, yeah, it's ticklish. Yes, right, right. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was a lot of what I felt like, yeah, we've heard about there's going to be some change and, you know, we understand it. And it was very, you know, heady, if you will. But nobody actually thought I was going to be able to do anything. And some people were bold enough to tell me that. Really? I, 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 was, I was brought in to change. And so you know, they, they sought out someone with my background because they were looking for a new HR delivery model in the business. And I came from a background where that's exactly the way that I was trained up and had a track record of, you know, doing other change over the course of my career. And so why wouldn't I be able to do this? I got things done. So, you know, track record of success and results. So they were looking for someone with my background. However, what I quickly realized is they had experienced so many people who came in with, I would say, lofty plans who were not able to execute because they missed the relationship building piece. And so, you know, you laughed at it when I said, you know, some people told me, I don't think you're going to do anything. It was, it was pretty bold of them to say that. But on the other hand, I appreciated them letting me know because it allowed me to be more curious and probe and understand where they were coming from. And understanding, you know, when I think about my leadership philosophy, meeting people where they are is a huge part of my own personal leadership philosophy. And so to me, they just help give me a shortcut <laughs> to get around. I guess it's probably better than that me. very passive resistance, isn't it? Where, where people are, you know, yeah. at least you know what you're dealing with, right? Exactly. Okay, we're cutting to the chase. Let's get into it. You don't believe I can do it? Tell me why. What have you seen? And so, um, you know, I went about my first really six months on a listening tour. I'll give it the first three months strong on a listening tour. I had to extend out a little bit because we were crossing the holidays. Um, and in that listening tour, I got around to each you know area, each geography, um, 
within our company and just, you know, listen, asked what had been going well, what hadn't, and, you know, did not have an agenda of my own outside of really trying to understand where they were coming from and asking probing questions so that I could, I could get a great picture of that. And, you know, Melba, I'm just going to jump in for a second because I had someone in my team do that when she started a role last year. And I think in the current environment, people, you know, who are onboarding is much more challenging around getting around to sites or, you know, office locations. Yet that, um, you know, kind of insight and data gathering and relationship building is still so important. So, you know, probably something that needs real thought about how it can be done, you know, even if it is virtually right now for people starting in new roles. 100%. And, and I, I actually think people are probably more primed to doing it virtually right now, based on everything that we've been through in the past, you know, three to four months. At the time that I was doing it, you know, the face to face was absolutely critical. And I'm definitely not going to downplay that. If we could do that today, we'd be doing it. However, if I would have, I did phone calls as well. And the phone calls went okay, right? They went okay. But they got better as I was able to, you know, get out to those locations and, and experience people personally. The reason I think it could be better right now based on, you know, the world of, you know, remote work and COVID-19 world is because now people are more used to having to have these types of meetings and understanding that they don't have another option. And so, like I think about that environment, people were pretty resistant to, um, if we had a, you know, a conference call, we had video sharing software the whole time. Nobody would ever dream of turning on their camera. That's so funny. Ever. Yeah, it was the same thing. <laughs> Never, right? You, you, you paid for this equipment. You may as well have just been on a <laughs> conference line <laughs> because you're totally not using, you know, the full uh, software as you go through it. And so, but now, when you jump on, say, a Zoom or GoTo or BlueJeans, whatever tool you're using, and you don't turn on your camera, it's like taboo. What, what, we're not doing a camera? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> so certainly there's not all meetings are conducted that way, especially if they're, you know, teams that meet often, intact teams that have that rapport already. But to go out and set out and do those virtual meetings today in this environment should be a lot easier than even a year ago, if you were trying to set up and do that. But absolutely agree with you, Melissa, on making sure that a plan is put in place to do that, that relationship building. Right. And so, yeah, talk a little bit more then about, well, I'm interested in two things. So as you sort of went through this change yourself, um, which was quite significant, and then you started to get your head around okay, they brought me in here to help lead some change. What is that actually going to really look like? And how do I support myself going through such a big change? Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I came in ready and ready to go, <laughs> right? Firing and confident and, okay, we can do this. And, you know, from a tactic standpoint, I was just as, um, visible in selling my plan once I had it figured out as I was going around to listen. And, you know, I, I went on that kind of PR tool, PR tour of here's what we're going to do. And it's based on what I've heard you say. 
and weaving in that feedback. Um, and then I just really had some folks who were very, very open to giving me feedback and quickly became a sounding board for me that I could pull in and say, you know, on the front side, hey, how does this sound? Is this gonna land? You know, using them to help craft my message and they were especially great with that. And then coming back after I did and say, okay, what's the reception? What did people say? Anything that I should change and do differently? So really kind of, again, in that idea of coach, Melissa, while they weren't formally coaches, right? But really using some people to help coach me up as I went through that process was critical to make sure that I wasn't tone deaf or saying something that, you know, didn't resonate with people or really tick people off as I was going out there. Um, and then also then leveraging, you know, I, I had a great relationship with our head of HR, making sure that I stay connected there for that broader perspective and not getting too, you know, laser focused in on what we were doing to make sure that I could keep that broad perspective and, and continue to bring that to, you know, the plans that I was building and keeping that tie to what the business strategy was to what we were trying to do and linking our HR plan to that. So the value of feedback, that feedback loop along the way was invaluable. Do you have any um, wobbly moments where you're like, oh, what have I got myself in for here? Absolutely. Um, there's one that stands out um, pretty, pretty clear to me. And if I were to go back and talk to anybody who was in that room right now today, even though it was several years back at this point, they would absolutely know what moment I was talking about. So during my listening tour, I, you know, I got in front of a group. I had been told oh, they're a little just, you know, cantankerous, a crabby, whatever word you want to use. You're, you're going to get a run for your money there. And I've got a pretty good track record of being able to talk to people and, you know, have good relationships and make it an easy conversation. So I, I, I will say I downplayed it a bit in my head. I'm like, okay, thank you for the heads up, but I'll be fine. Well, they told no lies. <laughs> they told no lies. Um, I got into that group and it was a much larger group um, than any of the others had been, partially because they had a new leader and that new leader was trying to himself, you know, bring together more people and learn more people within his group. So he didn't have his own credibility for what it's worth, you know, within the group at that point. And I was also coming in trying to listen. So we, we had two people in these kind of higher level leadership positions who were trying to listen. And boy, they took advantage of that. And I got myself into a pretty long, um, I'm trying to think of a PC word to use, pretty long gripe session <laughs> that essentially ripped the HR team to shreds. Like there was nothing left, no stone left unturned. And unfortunately, their HR business partner was sitting right there and they had no problem continuing with this for a very, very long time. It was too much. It was inappropriate. I was not happy with it. 
Um, and I shut it down as I could early on, but I realized shutting that group down too was much harder. <laughs> and I never forgot that lesson. <laughs> I never forgot that lesson. We I'm made it through. I'm guessing the culture changed while, while you were there, but this is the, the difference between sort of talking about desired culture change and then how we hold ourselves accountable as leaders to actually not um, settle for, you know, that kind of behaviour, for example, when we're actually trying to move the company in a different direction. Like, that's where the rubber really hits the road. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, those very words became, I would say, a piece of feedback that that leader heard from me often as we were both kind of going forward in the next few years together. You cannot let the team get out of control. You cannot let them just take over and dominate. But instead, you've got to insert yourself as a leader, right? And model what you expect and shut down the behavior that you know is not acceptable. And, you know, at times, unfortunately, that leader was comfortable sitting in the background because it was a safer space for him than to put himself in that line of fire. And it was never appropriate, but absolutely, you know, there was, there was great progress made, you know, over three and a half, four years together, but that is absolutely where the rubber meets the road. You can talk about it, you can put on slides, you can talk about these grand visions, but if things aren't shut down and corrected in the moment, you've let people know that that behavior continues to be okay. And I think we kind of find it easier to get our heads around that when we're talking about, I don't know, safety culture, for example. But, you know, this positive aspect of change that we're talking about when we're moving to, um, you know, an organisation that we want to be, you know, more diverse and have more quality talent and, you know, a culture of um, accountability and high performance. So we're, we're moving you know, in a direction that is um, optimistic and growthful. And yet as leaders, what does that mean we need to be on that journey? You know, what are the, is, you know, we talk about the diversity, but then when we're hiring, it, it, it really calls on us to think differently. Oh, absolutely. In fact, the worst thing you could do is have only HR driving these things. I mean, people, sure, respect HR. And some organizations, not every organization, um, so if they're not respected within the organization, that's a different conversation on building that credibility. But you don't ever want to be running just the HR program. Like if I think about all the things I've done, I never wanted to be just running the HR program. I didn't believe in, you know, doing HR for HR's sake. I got no personal satisfaction in showing up and doing these, these things just because I like to do them and they weren't benefiting the business and they weren't benefiting the talent. They weren't benefiting, you know, the organization moving forward in some way, shape or form. And so it's critical to have your leaders to understand where they sit on that change curve within, you know, these what we call softer initiatives like culture change or diversity you gotta understand where they are because they're gonna make the difference when HR is not there, they're setting the tone and that tone is often louder than what HR can be. And if there's any leaders listening that I've worked with, they'll, they'll, they'll know straight away that 
you know, when I hear soft, you know, I, I'm like, these are hard, these are hard skills, hard changes, you know, the impact mm-hmm. of, you know, people behavior performance cost, you know, I, I think that is part of that shift, isn't it, is when leaders really start to translate um, those benefits to the business performance in a way that, uh, you know, is more similar to how they see their numbers on the P&L and they understand the direct correlations there, you know, then people really start to... Where did the culture kind of shift to in the business? A, a number of things were different. So we, we pushed through a lot of change in my, my, my tenure within the company. The organization was completely different, <laughs> you know, by the time that I left versus when I showed up. And, and you know, I attribute that to a couple of things. So things were changed positively, so I should say that. <laughs> um, some of those things in the early days were very hard. Why are we doing this? Are you sure it's going to give you things like a lot of work? Um, however, with every year, they got better, you know, at doing what we were asking, understanding what was important, and then taking it and running, at, you know, running with it as if it were their own, which is ultimately what you want to get to. So, you know, the culture was one, I would say, that was moving a bit quicker because they had been, um, they've been stuck in a place um, for, I would say the better of five years where they had been told, it started with a large um, project that was enterprise-wide that they were going through. It was gonna be a huge system change and people had geared up for that. And unfortunately, you know, that project had extended out. It, it was, it, it, it just got sunsetted like at my departure. <laughs> so we're talking probably seven or eight years at that point in time. Um, that people have been strung along saying this big, huge change is going to come, is going to change everything about the way that you operate. And it just never kept coming. And so the organization and, you know, the employees have, were losing faith in the organization's ability to actually deliver on any change. So it wasn't that they were so much opposed to change. They had just heard, oh, we're going to change, we're going to change and seen it, frankly, so poorly executed that it left a very bad taste in their mouth. And so the culture was able to come along because we were actually making changes, saying, hey, we see this, she's talked about this, we're gonna change it, we'd execute it, it changed, and you know, we'd iterate until we got it close to perfect, nothing's ever exactly perfect. And they were like, wow, you actually did that. And that got really, really far along the way. And I know, Melissa, you've heard that, you know, quick, quick wins, right? That get in there and figure out what your quick wins can be in order to drive more change. I've heard that my entire career, but this was a time where it was so easy to see it because I quickly started hearing from people, oh my gosh, you get things done. Thank you, what a compliment. But it, it simply was because they've been told and dragged along on this journey about change for something that never came to fruition. Yeah, and, and, the, and the things that, I, that were harder, right? So getting those quick wins on, you know, some of the things that to me were just low hanging fruit were critical. 
recognizing, hey, it's going to take me a couple years to do some of these bigger ruts, <laughs> but I'm getting started on it and we're going to get started on that journey. But when it came to those bigger items, I put into place really a test and learn strategy. Hey, we're going to pilot this. Let's, 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 you're not sure about it. I think it can work, but neither one of us are sure about it, but let's, let's give it a try and let's test it on a small subset, right? A small area, a small group of employees and see what we get. And using that test and learn became really my, my hip pocket tool. And what I learned to do over that was to invite, you know, the key influencers to participate in those pilots, because as they saw it, they were able to go back and take it and believe in it and frankly do the, the hard work of selling it in for me. So getting that momentum going was, was critical. So, you know, I look back to what I stepped into. We, we changed a lot of process. We enhanced a lot of tools and, you know, employees were thrilled with changes, opportunities that they were seeing come about through our programs. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding when you have openings, you know, key openings occur and you have the, the talent to go there, be ready, or you're seeing the improved business results from a team because, you know, their manager got trained in a meaningful and effective way and is now applying those skills or your new employee is a quicker start. So the results were visible all through the business, through all of the changes that we were making. Did the, did the um, leadership team look any different? You know, was there more females, more diversity, for example? Great question. Um, we were not we were not effective at moving any um, demographics at the top of the leadership chain, okay? There just wasn't any movement to make that happen. However, I was really proud that within our um, manager ranks, you know, our, our female ratio of women population was really low. Um, we increased that by over 20%. Um, during my tenure, and we had talent ready to get promoted to that director and above level, just waiting for, you know, a couple of moves to happen, retirements and otherwise. So our pipeline was filling up very, very nicely. When we look at that kind of emerging talent or high potential list, um, we had a lot of uh, the increase of women and people of color was significant over what we had, you know, when I started. They didn't really have lists, so it was a bit of, you know, the manager's pick <laughs> at that point in time. So putting together those lists, identifying people, and actually investing in them. How are you different having had this experience of, of going in and being unique in a different industry and helping drive change. And I know that it, it, it would have been quite challenging. So how are you different from that experience? Oh, oh that's a good one. Um, you know, I would say I walked away 
learning much more than what I thought I was going to, you know, when I initially took the assignment. Again, did I believe I was the right person to come in and, and do the change? Absolutely. I ended up changing way more than what I even thought possible, <laughs> you know, during my tenure. So that was, that was really refreshing and, and lifted my confidence significantly. I gained a new appreciation for really making sure that you're, again, listening along the way and meeting people where they are. Not where you want them to be, not where they should be, but truly where they are. Um, and, you know, I can imagine taking that same principle to a more progressive organization again, and it's going to make me probably have to pick up the pace and run a little bit harder because they're farther along. But you don't want to spend your wills assuming someone is somewhere and they're not really there. And then you're just constantly at a setback or constantly being left behind. So I really learned that lesson of taking the time. And it's something, you know, if you were to call a member of my, my former team right now, they would absolutely say, oh, yes, that was a huge principle for her. Meet people where they are. It doesn't matter. How many times you've told them about it, it doesn't matter how many times, you know, whatever. It doesn't change that they still don't understand what's going on in that moment. It, it's a it's more of a marathon than a sprint, this kind of change. And I absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. The the other um, huge learning for me, Melissa, along that journey uh, was kind of this three-part statement that, that I'll tell you. In being a leader, I could have walked in, I was new, I could have walked in, I could have assessed and said, oh, well, you know, it seems like people aren't really comfortable with making decisions in this organization, so I'm going to fall into that same rut. But what good would that have done for any of us? Certainly wouldn't have been helpful for me personally and my growth and um, the, the business wouldn't have been any better for it. So I really kind of came up with this statement and it took me to say it to somebody else to say, oh, wow, that's pretty good. You've got to, as a leader, have the insight to see what the issues are, the credibility to be able to speak on it to your peer leaders and up the chain, but yet you've got to have the boldness to act. And when you're in these change situations, like I never lose sight of, it takes insight, credibility, and being bold to actually enact the change. And don't ever forget that. Ain't that the truth? Absolutely. Um, I love that. That is, I'm going to be including that in the in the show notes. <laughs> you know, along with some of your um, links. If I could just ask one final question, Nora, before I let you go. Your evening in sunny Atlanta. Um, for those who are going through change right now, and I know you're speaking to a lot of people who are too, on this topic of supporting themselves and, and doing things that are within their control, what are you hearing or, in fact, what might you suggest? Um, you know... It's really an interesting time, you know, as people have been working from home or remotely 
people are trying to, you know, educate or school their children and, you know, take on and wear all these multiple hats. We thought we were wearing multiple hats before, but really the last, you know, three and a half, four months has put a whole new definition on that. Um, a few things that I'm hearing um, are first, people are struggling with cutting off work. And when you're at home and it's easy, your computer's right there. And, you know, especially if you don't have somebody who, you know, is forcing you to get away from the computer or, you know, if you have kids, they're probably going to come knocking. But if you don't have children or young children and nobody's there to say, hey, maybe you should take a break now, you know, partner or otherwise, people are just really struggling to find that balance. They're waking up working, they're passing out working, um, which is obviously not a great cycle to be in, uh, one that we would not want to see in the office setting, let alone in this setting. Yeah. Um, and so that just comes to discipline, putting in whatever measures that you have to, to ensure that you're not working yourself to date. You know, I recommend having some kind of routine in the morning when you wake up. That routine, um, my routine, I'll just share, looks like waking up um, and then I meditate before I actually get out of bed. And then I spend some time um, doing some reading. Um, and then I ease into, I turn on you know, the TV. I only have certain times a day that I watch the news. When I first wake up is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. But I ease into the day. Um, but I'm probably, you know, at least 30 minutes to 45 minutes into my day before I ever, um, you know, start to look at email. It's not a good way to put me in the right space. Does that work for everybody? No, it doesn't. But making sure you have something in the morning that helps to set your day off to, you know, the, the tone that you want it to be in. I also spend some time doing um, gratitude journaling in the morning and before I go to bed at night. So it's, it, for me, those are mindset tools that I put into place. Making sure that during the day that it can be hard when you have meeting after meeting, especially Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting, but ensuring there's that time to walk away and there, you know, allowing and, and actually forcing the break time. I am a huge fan of like, put it in your calendar. If it's not on my calendar, I may not do it. So calendar that break. It may seem weird or sound silly, but it's a way to make sure that you can do that and then actually push away and do something that is fun. That is like a decompressed moment for your brain. That could be taking a walk. That can be watching some funny YouTube videos. You know, that could be picking up a book. You know, with my kids at home, sometimes that is just going and doing something fun and silly with them, but just making sure you've created that space and time um you know for those breaks and making sure you're eating like i forgot to eat yesterday this is my personal problem like oh i'm working and i get on a roll and then i realize i've missed breakfast and lunch you know i i find the good things i find that i don't snack nearly as much as i did when i was in the office yeah <laughs> but and i don't it, want to forget to eat it all together and it really impacts your energy doesn't it i mean you, you know you can you know whilst i'm okay with a bit of intermittent fasting or whatever i mean all those things you've, you've mentioned 
are things that um, we customise for ourselves and we have our um, you know, routines and we try and start the day right for us. But there are some common threads there that we hear and sometimes people tune out, oh, meditation, oh, you know, whatever. But these things are too common amongst people who are, you know, leading and successfully, um, for the most part, you know, managing uh, their lives. So I think there's really something... I was just going to say, people can get turned off or by the idea of meditating. I just want to say, you know, don't overthink it. Like, don't overthink meditating. You know, being quiet, there's, there's different ways to meditate. You know, you can be quiet and hum and get in touch with, you know, another part of you. But also just having sometimes that space to have an internal conversation with yourself is just as valuable, if not more. So, you know, don't overthink it. And if this will take nothing else from, you know, what we've discussed here, I think lift your head up from the, the PC and, and, and your documents and just be a touch more intentional about who you might connect with or to Melba's point, you know, what you might put on your calendar. So I kind of challenge all of us to, to do that today and consider how we're maybe trying to, you know, control change and manage it and instead focus on one thing we could do to support ourselves or get connected and empower ourselves to really lead change for ourselves. So thank you, Belva, so much for being um, here today on the Grow Tribe and I hope that we can reconnect again in the future. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed my time with you here today and um, congratulations to you on the, you know, beginning this journey and I'm looking forward to being part of the Grow Tribe ongoing. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Melva. Thanks so much for listening. I'm very excited as we build this growing community of growers. And I'd love to hear your feedback on anything you want to hear more about people that you think would be great for us to have a chat with. Please leave me some feedback or if you want any support, use the functions via the podcast or the email, the Facebook group or the Instagram, all of it in the notes. I'd love to hear your stories. I'd love to see your pictures of you growing and what you're working on. Please share the podcast and review it in iTunes as we build this community. Thanks so much.